This morning, I invite you to draw your sword, turn to Mark chapter 1, verses 40 to 45. Today, I want to preach in your hearing a sermon that's entitled, The Contagious Jesus. The Contagious Jesus. Once you found your place in sacred scripture, please stand out of reverence to the public reading of God's holy word. Mark chapter 1, I'll begin reading at verse 40. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cured. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone. But go, show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. This is the word of the Lord, and thanks be to God. You may be seated. The Center for Disease Control reports that the deadliest diseases that you and I will most likely face include heart disease, stroke, and lower respiratory infection. The most contagious diseases in all the world are hepatitis B, malaria, tuberculosis. Some of the deadliest, most contagious diseases include things like HIV and pneumonia. There are literally hundreds and hundreds of diseases that are known to man that are incurable. There may be some vaccinations to help prevent you from getting them. There may be some medication to help you cope with life if you contract them. But there are no cures for them to this very day. Some of those diseases include things like Parkinson's disease, diabetes, and polio. As I read through these reports on the CDC website, I got to be honest with you, I was slightly shocked not to find any mention anywhere of that very highly contagious childhood disease that could break out on any elementary school playground at any time. Of course, the disease I'm talking about is the cooties. <laughs> the cooties could break out at a moment's notice from the monkey bars to the swings to the basketball court. And apparently it's pretty highly contagious. It spread from one third grader to another third grader merely by touch. And it's accompanied by a high-pitched squeal. You never quite know when an epidemic might break out. But you always know that eventually, here come the cooties. I got to be honest with you, I don't know the shelf life of cooties. To be honest, I may still have the cooties. I'm not real sure. This morning, we are confronted in our passage with a disease 
that is more deadly than a heart attack, more common than malaria, more contagious than HIV, and carried a greater stigma than even the cooties. It is Mark who says that a man with leprosy came to Jesus. We don't know much about this man. We don't know his name, his age, his family history, or even his nationality. We simply know him by his sickness. And tragically, we do the very same thing today. When we slap a label on somebody based upon their infirmity or their frailty or their failure, we uh, speak of Sally, the cancer patient, speak of Dave, the adulterer, or Jill, the alcoholic. In our passage, this man is only known by his sickness. He had leprosy. Now, leprosy is not all that common in our sphere of influence, in our circles here in America. But in those days, leprosy represented that dreaded skin disease. It was highly contagious. It was dreadfully painful. It was a skin disease that would cause skin lesions to come up all over the body. Skin discoloration would be prominent. Normally, leprosy attacks the nerve endings. Therefore, it is extremely painful. In some severe cases, it would result in disfigurement or deformities. We are told that this man had leprosy. Leprosy was a common disease in the first century. People who had leprosy in the days of Jesus were referred to as the living dead. In fact, in the first century, there was a rabbinical statement which said this, that it is as hard to raise the dead as to heal a leper. You think to yourself, where does that statement come from? Why would rabbis say that it was just as hard to raise the dead as to heal a leper? Well, let me ask you this. In all the Old Testament, how many success stories are there of lepers who are healed from leprosy? In all the 39 books of the Old Testament, you only have two. Just two accounts in all the Old Testament where a leper is healed from leprosy. And on both occasions, it is God who did it. One story is told in Numbers chapter 12. Miriam, the sister of Moses, began to complain against Moses. She said things like, has God only spoken through Moses? Has not God also spoken through me and Aaron? Apparently, God didn't take too kindly to this sibling rivalry. So he came to defend the servant Moses. God descended among them in a cloud. He summoned those three siblings of Miriam, Moses, and Aaron. And God spoke his word to them. No sooner had the cloud left that the brothers looked at their sister Miriam. She was covered in leprosy, white as snow from head to toe. It didn't take her very long to realize that she had made a mistake. She repented of her sin, and it is God who healed her from her leprosy. The only other success story of one who had leprosy that was cured is in 2 Kings chapter 5. It's there where the highly decorated Syrian soldier named Naaman had leprosy. Naaman was a success by everybody's standard, except for that one little small flaw. He was a leper. 
He would have done anything to get rid of the leprosy. It was, it, it, it ostracized him. It, it, it left him in, in a lot of pain. And so his Jewish servant girl that was the servant to his wife, she said, if my master would only go to Samaria, there he would find the prophet of God who would cure him from leprosy. So Naaman asked his Syrian king if he could go to Israel. And the king obliged and gave him a, a royal entourage. By the time Naaman got to uh, Samaria, there he was met by Elisha. And Elisha told him to go and duck seven times in the muddy Jordan River. And after going beneath the water seven times, on that seventh time up out of the water, his skin was made smooth again. Naaman would have done anything to have been cleansed from leprosy. And it was God who healed that Syrian soldier. Other than that, there are no other success stories in all the Old Testament. 39 books where people had leprosy and they died of leprosy. In fact, in antiquity, the mortality rate of leprosy was off the charts. It was so prominent, it was so prevalent that Moses even gave instructions for people who had leprosy. In a place like Leviticus chapter 13 and 14, it is Moses who said, if you get leprosy, you have to wear loose clothing. Keep your hair unkept. Walk around and if you get remotely close to anybody else, cover your face and yell, unclean, unclean, as to not contaminate anybody else in the camp. Moses goes on to say that you, as one who has leprosy, must live outside the camp, outside the village, alone. Nobody associated with a person with leprosy. If you had leprosy, you were marginalized, you were shoved aside, you were pushed away, you were looked over. Nobody would willingly associate with you unless that other person had leprosy. I mean, only lepers would hang out with other lepers. The truth of that statement is revealed in Luke chapter 17. It's there that there's a, a fraternity of lepers, 10 of them to be exact, and they come and they stand at a distance from Jesus. And well, they should. They stood at a distance and they cried in a loud voice, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on us. And Jesus yelled back, go show yourselves to the priest. That's interesting. Because really a leper could only show himself to the priest once his leprosy was healed. And wouldn't you know it? With every step for all 10 of those guys, their skin became smooth again. No more discoloration. No more uh, deformities, uh, no more uh, skin lesions. And only one of them came back to thank Jesus. And Jesus marvels because he was a Samaritan. You take that story and you realize that this is one of the only times in sacred script where Jews intermingle with Samaritans. Only a leper would give another leper the time of day. It is Mark who tells us that a man with leprosy came to Jesus. He had death in his body. He was the living dead, ostracized, shoved away, marginalized by society. Yet this man is a bold individual with a bold request. We are told that he takes his life in his own hands. He gets a little bit too close for comfort. He gets as close to Jesus to the point that he could kneel down at the feet of Jesus and he pleads for mercy. 
Now, apparently, this man had heard the stories about Jesus. He had already heard the reputation that preceded the Messiah, that Jesus was one who entered the home of Simon Peter, and immediately he healed Simon's mother-in-law, broke her fever, and she got up and was able to serve all the disciples. Jesus went to the synagogue on Sabbath, and he evicted a, a demon. In other places, Jesus would go and they would bring all their sick and Jesus would heal various diseases. Undoubtedly, this leper had heard the stories of miraculous power of this rabbi named Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. And he thought to himself, if Jesus gets close enough to my neck of the woods, I'm going to go and I'm going to, I'm going to risk it all. I'm going to go and I'm going to plead for mercy. So this man takes his life in his own hands, gets close enough to Jesus to touch him. He kneels down down at his feet. And I want you to notice what he says. If you are willing, you can make me clean. I want you to notice that this man has no shred of doubt. He, he does not question the ability of Jesus. He does not question the authority of Jesus. He doesn't question whether Jesus can heal him or not. He just says, if you are willing, I know you can make me clean. This man has raw faith. This man with leprosy had a human impossibility. It was impossible for him to be cleansed. Only God could heal a leper. He's only done it twice in 39 books of the Old Testament. Only twice recorded in the sacred script. This man has a death sentence on his life. He has what would seem to be a human impossibility. And yet, he has profound faith. Splendid faith. He goes up and doesn't question, does not doubt the Savior. He goes up and says, if you are willing, you can make me clean. This man is is like the cancer patient who's been told by the doctors, the cancer you have is inoperable. It's incurable. We've given you all the radiation and all the chemo that your body can take. And the doctor says to that cancer patient, it's our advice that you just go home and get your house in order. And yet that cancer patient prays in full faith that Jesus will heal her. It's like that wife whose marriage has been violated numerous times with various affairs. All of her friends tell her to leave her lousy husband. In fact, her counselor even is advising her how to cope with life once the divorce is final. And yet this wife prays in full faith, asking Jesus to not just save her marriage, but to save her husband. This is like the parents who still, even after four years, they sob themselves to sleep at night. It's been four long, grueling years since their, at that time, teenage daughter ran away with that defiant, deadbeat boyfriend. And for four years, these parents haven't heard anything from their daughter. They don't know where she is. 
They don't know if she's alive. And even four years later, they are, they are still sobbing themselves to sleep at night. The private investigators, they haven't turned anything up. The police, they haven't had a good lead in 18 months. The closest friends to these parents, they say, listen, you need to cope with reality and, and just brace yourself to the fact that, that your darling daughter, she may never come home. She may not be alive. You can well imagine that every time the phone rings, their heart begins to race. Every time somebody knocks on the door, there's a lump in their throat wondering if their daughter will be on the other side of that door. And these parents pray in full faith, believing that Jesus will bring their daughter home again. Friend, the scenarios I just described to you are present-day scenarios that match the intensity of this man's request. This man in Mark chapter 1, who has leprosy all over his body, he has a human impossibility. All of his friends are telling him, don't waste your time by going to Jesus. Don't bother the rabbi from Galilee. He's not going to be able to help you. Nobody else has been able to help you. You need to cope with the reality that you're going to die with leprosy and so he has a human impossibility and yet in full faith he goes to Jesus in full faith believing that Jesus can fix it he doesn't question the authority of Jesus he does not question the ability of Jesus he says if you are willing you can make me whole again and friend maybe some of you find yourself in that spot today You've been praying for something for weeks, months, years, maybe even decades. You've been praying for something that from the human perspective, it just seems like an impossibility. It's a, it's a problem that's overwhelming. It's something to do with a, a prodigal son or a prodigal granddaughter or a financial crisis or a difficulty at work or something that's going on in, the, in your health or the health of a loved one. And you're praying and you're praying and you're praying and you're praying and everybody else tells you, listen, don't bother God anymore because this is a human impossibility. Yet, my friend, I want you to notice that in this man's life he goes to Jesus repeatedly he goes to Jesus falls at his knees and pleads for mercy how does Jesus respond to such raw faith I'll tell you what he did in this story verse 41 filled with compassion he reached out and touched the man and said I am willing be clean Filled with compassion. Now, some of your English translations will render that first phrase of verse 41 as Jesus was indignant. And you sit there and think to yourself, the word compassion and the word indignant don't sound like synonyms. In fact, they sound like opposites. How can it be that the same Greek word in some English translations is translated filled with compassion, and other versions render it that Jesus is indignant. What gives? Well, certainly it is a hard word to translate. It, it's a, a rendering of the Greek word splankna. It's, it's a word that paints the portrait of somebody being so overwhelmed with emotion that they're that the inner core of their being is stirred and shaken and they are moved to action. 
This is a description of Jesus. I don't think that Jesus is angry. I don't think Jesus is mad in this moment. I don't think indignant is the best way to understand this word. I think that what we need to understand is that Jesus is so overwhelmed, overcome by emotion that the very core of who he is begins to be stirred and shaken. Some have translated it this way, that his guts began to shake. He was so moved in his inside. He was so overwhelmed with emotion that his guts began to shake and he responded with tender compassion. And oh, my friends, isn't that who Jesus is? Isn't that the Jesus that you've experienced? One who is so tender towards you, he's so moved to action. And you ask yourself, why is he moved to action in this moment? And I think the answer is twofold. Not only, number one, does he witness the plight of human suffering, but secondly, he sees how this man responds with splendid faith. And Jesus is always stirred. He is always shaken. He is always moved at the intersection of where there is human suffering and that human suffering is being battled by and battled with splendid faith. When you have that intersection of suffering and faith, Jesus will always be stirred to action. He'll be moved to do something about it. He'll be moved to, uh, to be compassionate towards you. And Jesus sees the suffering and he hears the conviction of this man's request. And Jesus is moved, stirred, shaken. This causes me just to push the pause button just for a second and ask myself and ask you, what stirs you? What shakes your emotions? What moves you to the core of your being and moves you unto action? If I'm going to be like my tender Jesus, then I have to be tender like he is and I've got to be compassionate like he is. And when I see suffering. And when I see splendid faith, then I've got to respond with the tender compassion of Christ. But if I could just be real honest with you, I think that for many of us, what moves us is, is far more selfish and superficial. I mean, stop and think, what really stirs you? What, what, what causes great emotion to come out of you? What, what motivates you unto action? And the truth of it is a football game, a shopping spree, the posting of the accomplishments of our little idols called children and grandchildren. That when we see those things, when we experience those things, oh, uh, emotion rises up inside of us and it moves us unto action. But oh, my friends, if I'm going to be like Jesus, I've got to be as tender as he is. I've got to be as compassionate as he is. He saw human suffering and he saw faith on display and he was moved to do something about it. So what did Jesus do? He reached out and he touched the man. And he said, I am willing, be clean. To me, this is the most shocking part of the story. Jesus reached out and touched the skin lesions. 
Jesus reached out and touched the deformity. Jesus reached out and touched the disfigurement. Jesus reached out and touched those oozing places of discoloration in the skin. Jesus reached out and got his hands dirty. Jesus reached out and touched this man with leprosy. The reason that's shocking is because I know that his word would have been sufficient. He didn't have to touch the man in order to heal the man. You do realize that, right? He did not have to touch the man to heal the man. You remember uh, that in a story that will take place uh, in just a few chapters later, uh, Jesus will be with the boys. They'll be on the boat on the Sea of Galilee and a raging storm will come up. And Jesus will just stand up and say, quiet, be still. (laughs) And everything gets quiet and everything gets calm. Jesus just speaks the word and creation obeys. He doesn't have to reach down into the raging waters and touch them. He doesn't have to raise his hand so that the wind touches his skin. All he has to do is say the word, quiet, be still. (laughs) And the wind and the waves obey. In fact, this causes the disciples to ask that question, who is this? I mean, even the wind and the waves obey him. He didn't have to touch the water. He didn't have to touch the wind. All he had to do was speak and it had to obey. On, one, on another occasion, there was a Canaanite woman whose daughter was sick. And the Canaanite mom came to Jesus and begged him to heal her little girl. And Jesus told her, your daughter is healed. And the scripture writer says, from that very moment, that daughter was healed. The reality is, that little girl wasn't even in the same proximity of Jesus. It's not that Jesus didn't even touch her. He wasn't even in the same house. He wasn't in the same location. I mean, he was far removed in a galaxy far, far away. He was far removed from where this little girl was. And yet all he had to do was say the word and this little girl was healed. On another occasion, a Roman centurion who had a servant whom he valued highly. That servant was sick And the Roman centurion who did not personally know Jesus, but he knew of Jesus and he knew how royalty went and and how things were supposed to go. So he sent a Jewish entourage, a delegation to try to uh, speak to Jesus on his behalf because he knew that he was not Jewish and Jesus was Jewish. And so if he sent a Jewish delegation, then maybe uh, they would help uh, and and kind of bridge the gap between the two. And they really botched it up. They really messed up the whole uh, negotiation process. So eventually that Roman centurion went to Jesus and said, listen, I know that you're a man of authority. And the way I know that is because I'm a man of authority. I tell this soldier to go and he goes. I tell this soldier to stay and he stays. And you are a man of authority. So all you have to do is say the word and my servant will be healed. And Jesus said, whoa, such great faith I've not seen in all of Israel. And the scripture writer says from that very hour that centurion's servant was healed. The centurion's servant wasn't even in front of Jesus. He was still at home on his deathbed. And Jesus wasn't even close enough to touch him, not in the same location, not under the same roof. And all Jesus had to do was say the word and that man was healed. In our story, all Jesus would have to do is say the word and that leprosy would be cured. But instead, Jesus reaches out and touches him. He says, I am willing, be clean. Friend, 
Why did Jesus touch the man with leprosy? The answer, Jesus wasn't afraid of getting leprosy. You'll get that in a little bit. Jesus wasn't afraid of getting leprosy. Jesus knew that he was far more contagious than that man standing in front of him with leprosy. Jesus was not afraid that he was going to get what that man had. Jesus knew that man was going to get what he had. And so he was willing to reach out and touch the man. Why? Because Jesus is more contagious. Jesus is not fearful of getting leprosy. Jesus is not fearful of being tainted by your sin. Jesus is not fearful of taking your uh, infirmities and your failures upon himself. Because Jesus knows he's more contagious than you are. He's going to give you what he's got. He's not going to get what you have. And Jesus is contagious so he reached out and touches the man i am willing be clean and immediately the leprosy left him now mark's favorite word is the word immediately he's gonna say immediately jesus went here and immediately jesus went there and immediately jesus did this and immediately jesus went that immediately immediately it's like an action-packed thriller immediately everything happens and immediately the leprosy left why because this is more than a god man This is more than a man from God. This is more than a man of God. This is God in the flesh. Only God can heal a leper, right? And so this man is immediately healed. What must that tell you? That must tell you that Jesus is God. After all, what is Mark's purpose? His purpose is to reveal with clarity the identity of Jesus so that you know that this is the beginning of the gospel. Chapter one, verse one. Beginning of the gospel of Jesus Who is that Jesus? He is Christ, the Son of God. And only God can heal somebody from leprosy. That man was immediately cleansed. He was healed not from the outside in, but from the inside out. He was completely and utterly restored. He was completely cured. He was completely cleansed of all of his infirmity. And then Jesus gave him a stern warning. Don't tell anybody about this. But go show yourself to the priest. Go through the examination. Go through the sacrifices that Moses instructed. For this will be a testimony to them. That's an interesting statement, isn't it? This man had just been healed of leprosy. I told you that the fatality rate of lepers in the first century was off the charts. And this man had a human impossibility, yet he came with great faith and Jesus touched him and Jesus healed him. And this man who had leprosy for I don't know how long, but he had it for a long time. And now he's healed. And Jesus says, don't tell anybody. I would argue that what Jesus really said and how it ought to be understood and translated is don't tell anybody until you show yourself to the priest. Don't tell anybody until you show yourself to the priest. Jesus knows the process. He knows the process of how a leper is reinstated into community. Once that leper is cleansed, then that leper has to uh, go and show himself to the priest. And the priest has to act like a doctor and examine the body. And then once those lesions are gone and the discoloration of skin is removed... Then there had to be some sacrifices. And at the beginning of the week, um, 
it would sacrificing two birds. Uh, one bird would be let go and the other bird would have to be sacrificed. And then the blood of that bird would be sprinkled on that man who had leprosy seven times. And then after that week-long process, then the man who had leprosy would have to come back for more sacrifices. This time, he'd have to offer two lambs. And if he was living in poverty, he had to offer one lamb and two doves. Regardless, it was the perfect lamb. Uh, it, was, it was the lamb of, of, of the lamb without spot, blemish, or defect. The blood of that lamb would then be covered over the infirmity of that man who had leprosy. And then once that was done, then he could be reinstated back into the community. See, Jesus knows how the process goes. After all, He's the one that led Moses to write it, correct? So he knows the process. He knows what's written in Leviticus and and on in the Pentateuch. He knows how it's supposed to go. He also knows that at some point that rabbi will ask the man who's cured of leprosy, how did this happen? How did you get cured of leprosy? And that man with leprosy would then tell what Jesus did. That Jesus, the mighty miracle worker, the rabbi from Nazareth in Galilee, he came and touched me and I was cleansed and he didn't get leprosy. And if anybody should be able to connect the dots of what that means, it ought to be the religious establishment of the first century. Those rabbis ought to understand This Jesus must be of God because only God can heal a leper. A rabbi, a typical rabbi, can only declare somebody clean. He can't make somebody clean. Yet this this one who had leprosy would give testimony that Jesus not just declared him clean, but made him clean from the inside out. And this will be, according to Jesus, a testimony to them. The word to really should be understood as against. It's a testimony against them. Who's the them? The rabbis. This is a testimony against them that Jesus really is the Christ. He really is the son of God. He really is God in the flesh. The man who had leprosy, who was cured by Jesus, heard the stern instruction of Jesus. And he went out, and Mark says, <laughs> he began to talk freely and spread the news. In other words, he had holy gossip. There was no way he could be quiet. He said, I, I know, I know, Jesus told me to be quiet, but I can't. I, I, I got a bad case, I can't help us. I, I've got some juicy gossip that I've just got to tell. Because you know what? I've been touched, and I've been changed. I've been restored. I've been made whole. i, I I cannot be quiet. Can I tell you what's happening? Can I tell you what's happening to me? Look, hey, come down here. Let me tell you what's happened to me. Because, because Jesus has touched my life and Jesus has changed my life and Jesus has made me whole again. I just have to talk freely about who Jesus is and what he's done in my life. Friends, keep in mind that the original audience were Gentile believers living in the mid-60s of the first century, in and around Rome, they were facing intense persecution. And last week we discovered that the goal of all persecution is to silence the voice. And before you get to the end of chapter 1 of Mark's gospel, you find a guy who's been touched and changed by Jesus, and he cannot be silent. 
What is Mark telling the audience? Mark is telling the crowd, if this guy can't be quiet, even though Jesus gave him a stern warning to be quiet until he showed himself to the priest, if he can't be quiet, you can't be quiet. If Jesus has touched your life, talk freely about it. If Jesus has changed your life, talk freely about it. If Jesus has made you whole again, talk freely about it. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. Don't be embarrassed by the Messiah. We talk freely about a lot of things, don't we? Oh, we talk freely about our families and our finances and our football. We talk freely about our spouse and our children and our grandchildren. We talk freely about the money that we have, the money that we need, or the money that we once had. We talk freely about our job, our employee, our employers. We talk freely about the people that we have to work with. We talk freely about the people that we go to church with. We talk freely about our neighbors up and down the street. We talk freely about secrets that are told to us that really shouldn't be told to anybody else. We talk freely about a host of things. Can you and I agree today? We're just gonna talk freely about Jesus. Let's talk freely about the one who's touched us and changed us. This man talked freely about it. Couldn't keep quiet. Had holy gossip that he had to share. The end result, large crowds came around Jesus. Jesus could no longer go into the village gate. He had to stay outside in lonely places. And even though he was in lonely places, he wasn't by himself because people from everywhere found him. I want you to notice that Jesus is not only popular, but in this story, Jesus is contagious. Jesus is highly contagious. He reached out and touched this man who had leprosy because he was not afraid of getting leprosy. That's the reason nobody would touch a leper. I'm not going to touch a leper. Why? Because then I'll get what he's got. Jesus isn't concerned about that. He knows he is more, con- more contagious than the leper. He's not going to get what the leper has. He's going to give to the leper what he has. So Jesus did not get leprosy. He gave life. Jesus did not get contamination. He gave salvation. Jesus did not get sickness. He gave wholeness. Jesus did not get condemnation. He gave salvation. He did not get what the leper had. He gave the leper what he had. He is highly contagious. This Jesus who is contagious, he is not only the priest, but he's also the sacrifice. The priest in those days could only declare somebody clean. It is only through the sacrifice, the shedding of blood, that somebody could be made clean. And Jesus not only is the high priest, but he is the sacrifice. He is the pure, perfect lamb of God who will shed his blood to cover all of the leprosy of our soul. He is the one that will make us clean again. For what shall wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What will make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is all my hope and peace. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is all my righteousness. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fountain. No, nothing but the blood of of Jesus. Jesus tells us, I understand that it's a week-long process for the leper to be made clean. But for Jesus, it is a momentary process to go from death unto life, from no faith to faith. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. 
Jesus is contagious. I know I've got to take my seat, but before I sit down, let me just warn you, Jesus is highly contagious. You need to know that. You need to know that if you hang out with Jesus, he will rub off on you. If you hang out with Jesus, you will get what he's got. It's not that he's going to uh, be fearful of getting what you have. He's going to give you what he's got. The only place and the only time that we give Jesus what we've got was at Calvary. We gave him our sin. He gave us his sanctification. We gave him our death. He gave us his life. We gave him our guilt. He gives us his grace. We give him our misery. He gives us his mercy. Even at the cross, especially at the cross, Jesus is contagious. I just need to tell you this morning church that Jesus is highly contagious I wish you tell your neighbor Jesus is contagious I wish you tell somebody in front of you hey buddy Jesus is contagious I wish you turn around and tell somebody behind you you just need to know that Jesus is highly contagious I've been around Jesus for 35 plus years and what I've realized is the more I hang out with Jesus the more infected I become with Jesus because he is the contagious Jesus, I now have his life. Because he is the contagious Jesus, I have his righteousness. Because he is the contagious Jesus, I have his holiness. Because he is the contagious Jesus, I have the mind of Christ. Because he is the contagious Jesus, I have the heart of Christ. Because he is the contagious Jesus, I've got the hands of Christ. Because he is the contagious Jesus, I've got the feet of Christ. Because he is the contagious Jesus, I've got the voice of Christ. Because he is the contagious contagious Jesus. I've got the word of Christ because he is the contagious Jesus. I've got the peace of Christ because he is the contagious Jesus. I've got the passion of Christ because he is the contagious Jesus. He's not fearful of getting what I got. I know I'm going to get what he's got. He is the contagious Jesus. And I just need to warn you, my friends, you associate with Jesus, he will infect you. You spend some time with Jesus, he will rub off on you. He's not afraid of getting your sin-sick soul. He's not afraid of getting the leprosy of your soul. He's not afraid of contracting what you've got. Because he knows he's far more contagious than you are. And if you bump into Jesus, he will give you what he's got. Because he is the contagious Jesus. Heavenly Father, we bow before you. We give you this invitation. Father, will you please bump into your people today? Please infect us with what you have. And oh, Father, help us to know that you are far more contagious than anything else in this world. So help us to live for the one who died for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.